Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us today on Impactability Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. Today's topic is about accessibility in fundraising. This is something that we should be all cognizant about because we're not sure who our intended audience will always be and what their level of accessibility is. Uh, we're very lucky to be joined by Dave Tinker. Dave is Vice President of Advancement at Achieva and a consultant with Goldbusters Consulting. In these roles, he raises funds and helps nonprofits with their communications. He was also an adjunct professor of information informatics at Muskegon University for over a decade. A certified Association of Fundraising Professional, AFP Master Trainer, he received the Outstanding Fundraising Executive Award from the AFP Western Pennsylvania chapter in 2013. In October 2016, he was honored by AFP International as one of six in the inaugural class of Distinguished Fellows. Davis has published numerous articles in professional journals and has written fundraising curriculum for the fundraising school at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University and the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. Dave is past president of the AFP Western Pennsylvania chapter and has served in many volunteer roles for AFP International and his own chapter. In addition to AFP, Dave has served as a member of the Ethics Committee for the Grant Professionals Association, where he is also an approved trainer. Dave received a Master of Public Affairs with a concentration in nonprofit management from the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University. He's received a Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry and English and a Master of Information Strategy, Systems, and Technology from Muskegon University. He's also a graduate of Leadership Works, Indianapolis, Class 3, and the National Leadership Consortium on Developmental Disabilities at the University of Delaware, Class 44. In other words, Dave's kind of a big deal, and we're very fortunate to have him talking about a topic that I know he's very passionate about, uh, not only so much just raising funds for those um, in the accessible community, but making sure that us as fundraisers, us as nonprofit professionals, understand what this means. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm really excited to be here. You've made this uh, your life's work, you know, pretty much since you've become a professional. You've not only been fundraising for a very long time, but specifically fundraising for uh, accessibility needs. Why have you focused on this area of nonprofit work? My fundraising career, I've been fundraising in disabilities field for over 20 years on top of all the other stuff I've done. And it's really been uh, you know, important to me because I have family members with disabilities, whether they're people with or without the, you know, visual disabilities that you might just see, but also uh, I had friends and, and, and others with it as well. And growing up, my family friend's mom was blind. To me, that was just normal. And growing up, uh, I had a variety of uh, relatives with disabilities. And to me, again, that was just normal. That's just part of life. And so making the, the world a little more inclusive has been a big part of what I wanted to do. And it gives me passion. Uh, and before I go any further, I just want to describe how I look uh, for those that might be watching this and that might have a visual impairment or, or low vision. I'm a white male. I have white hair, uh, thanks to my kids, uh, glasses, a beard, uh, a bit of a round face, uh, and I'm wearing blue blue fleece shirt with a light blue golf shirt underneath, and behind me is basically a white wall. So, Dave, that's something I've never even thought about before, the way that I need to introduce myself to those that may be visually impaired. 
Is this something that you incorporate into your daily life as you go through? I do, especially uh, if we're doing, well, whether it's videos, we do a lot of thanking videos uh, and we can add that as well. If we know the donor is, might have a visual impairment or if we don't know the donor, uh, we can easily add that. That's, that's not a problem at all. Um, but yeah, we, you know, there are certain things you can do, whether or not you know your donor has a disability or not, and it likely is going to benefit uh, the person without a disability as well. Uh, there's something called a curb cut effect that if many of you uh, probably have seen in especially major cities uh, in the U.S. that uh, many curbs are have like a it's like a almost like a little ramp they call the curb cut. And the whole idea is that somebody that has mobility issues, whether they use a wheelchair or a walker or what have you, uh, can more easily and more readily, you know, cross the crosswalk and get back up onto the sidewalk. Well, that benefits everybody because it's certainly easier to walk up a slight ramp than it is to take a step, uh, step up. And so because of that, you know, that's, that's typically called the curb cut because it, 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 it was originally stated just or created just for somebody with a disability, but they realize after the fact that it's impacted so many more people in a positive way. So there's, there's a lot of fundraising stuff we can do for that. Yeah, there's something that you mentioned as far as, you know, the disabilities that we don't see and making sure that we're aware and cognizant of, of everyone around us. For those who are, uh, you know, major gift officers or if you're a grant writer or, or you know, plan giving expert, how should we be interacting with our constituents, whether or not we know that they have a disability? Well, you would just interact with them just like normal, but you take a couple of things into account that you would do regularly. So you can do some basic things, uh, whether it's your solicitation materials or thinking about event venues, uh, you know, online giving or electronic giving, whether it's through email or through a website, different tools you can use that are just simple things that would allow you to be more accessible and allow your, your message to be more accessible. And that's ultimately what we want to do is provide the opportunity for people to give, but also at the same time do so in a way that's helpful to that individual. What are some technological um, things that we should take into account when setting up our website, especially on that donation page? Sure. There's simple things you can consider, like the alt tag. Uh, an alt tag is an alternative tag, which is actually a coding term, but it's a typical term now, too. If you have an image on it, and if you turned off all the images, uh, and this has been something that's been around for actually a long time, you turn off the images, but you, you have a code that you type in a description. Uh, many tools put in a default description that really isn't what it is. And if you put up photos from like your own events or you know stock photography, those might have some alt tags, but they don't mention anything really what's in it or don't describe it well. You know, you might have an image, you might say, just like I described myself earlier, you know, I'm a white male with glasses and white hair and I'm wearing a blue sweatshirt or, you know, fleece. And because of that, you know, it, it says that instead of there's a guy. And so there's a big difference between those. I guess I am a guy, but there's a big difference between the two. And one describes it so that you understand it. And now you don't have to write war and peace in your alt tag, but you do want to, you know, give an actual description of who it is and or what it is. Uh, and that way it's, it's important. Now, some people, you know, to get too geeky, they try to try to put things into the alt tags to try to help with search engine optimization and, that you get in a little bit of trouble there because then you're using terms that might not have to do with what the image is. And so you don't want that issue. So you just want what's in there and that's it. So uh, and 
Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that use the alt text specifically for description. Don't try to trick the algorithm from an mm -hmm. SEO perspective. Uh, that's definitely something we want to keep in mind as we're sitting there updating our content. What about on social media? Do we have the options of using alt tags on the major platforms out there? We do. And many didn't start out that way, uh, but they finally came around and came into compliance, at least with the U.S. Uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, which required it in the Section 504, which is specifically talking about technology and accessibility. Yeah, it's simply you just put in what's in the image uh, and you can type it in. Slightly different for each one, but it's an important tool that you should utilize. What do you see as being the, and everyone wants to speak about what's the future, what's the trends. How are we going to make this world accessible to everyone when we're talking about fundraising? What, what's, what do you see is happening next? Uh, I think there's more. I mean, like you do video. Uh, video right now, you know, there you can do open caption or closed captioning on it. I would recommend open captioning because the majority of people watch video, regardless of whether or not they can actually hear the video, uh, look at it and want the words. Uh, and that's also true of a lot of like movies people stream and other things that people stream or television, they want it. Uh, and if you have open captioning, open captioning, the difference between that and closed captioning, closed captioning, you can turn on and off. Open captioning is always there. Um, there's a lot of tools that do artificial intelligence related captioning, and that's great, but it's not perfect yet. And so the, it might, if you have technical terms that you're using or maybe names, uh, it might not pick up on those correctly. And that gets aggravating sometimes just because you have artificial intelligence to do it. It's not there yet, uh, but it's a good first start. And you can go back in and edit that file and upload the actually the additional file, like a YouTube video, you can upload the captioning file to go with it uh, so that you have an accurate one. I know at Achieva, we do that. Uh, we don't just rely on YouTube, which does close captioning um, for that. And at one point, and I haven't checked recently, uh, YouTube would actually do live captioning for you if you're doing a live feed, uh, but only if you had a certain number of followers or subscribers. And I don't know that threshold right now, but they have that capability. Uh, and it's something that you might consider as well. If you're doing live streaming, you know, how is that person doing it? Do you have somebody that's you know, typing it in as you go? Or is it actually you're just reading from a script in a live stream and you already have it you know, hooked up so that it's there? Like, like you would with a teleprompter, you just get to see that as well at the bottom or at the top or wherever it is. Um, really simple things you can do. But again, it's, it benefits more than just somebody with a disability. Yeah, I think that's something that we don't think about is when someone's participating in a webinar. And mm -hmm. most times and not that we don't have those options to get those captions. Is this a cost prohibitive feature to do the, the live captioning? Or is this something that all organizations should really be taking into consideration? It depends on what service you use. I mean, there it, it's not necessarily inexpensive because you have somebody live that's typing there. But once the technology gets there, it is cheaper than actually hiring somebody. But the, again, the technology is not there yet. So, you know, how much in error do you really want? You know, hopefully it's, especially if you're a disability nonprofit, you don't want any error. Uh, and you might be able to get away with a little bit uh, if it's not a disability nonprofit, but it's important. So, you know, that's a cost of, you know, just like you would have a sign language interpreter in an event. It's the same sort of thing. It's something you should consider. Now, many people, it's like if you're doing an event, per se, there's lots of different accessibility things there as well. Some of it's technology related. Do you have videos that you're showing there as well? You know, and are those open or closed captioned? Hopefully they're open captioned if you're projecting on screen next to the stage. Uh, you know, do you have the microphone set up? 
correctly and it's loud, do you need assistive? Uh, there's assistive tools as well that help magnify the sound if somebody needs that in certain rooms. Uh, you know, you could do that as well, and that's helpful. Um, you know, or just have a sign language interpreter that you hired to do it as well. Uh, and if you ever want to see some fun, watch the sign language interpreters. There's videos of them that are at rap concerts because they really, some of them really get into the music and it's exciting to see. I've certainly gone to uh, Broadway musicals that tour that have sign language interpreters and when they, they really get into the scene and music and it, it's, it's fun to see, but the rapper ones are really funny because it's really fast. So their fingers are going really cra crazy, but it, it, it's, it's amazing to watch. So those are great. I, I know exactly those YouTube videos that you're talking about. Those are wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this has been great so far. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Dave is going to share with us some top tips that you can do for your website and your donation page to make sure it's accessible for everyone. Thanks. One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? How do I submit the grant? And of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Josh Hirsch, and I've been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategicsolutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch, and today we're speaking with Dave Tinker from Achieva and Goldbusters Consulting. This topic of accessibility in, in the fundraising world is really important to everyone. And we're lo learning about various things that you can be doing in all your communication mm -hmm. efforts to make sure it's accessible to everyone. Uh, but coming up in a few minutes, another edition of Coach's Corner, where we'll be speaking about what are the best practices for crafting an impactful annual report. Dave, you were mentioning yes. about all tags for your website. From a yep. donation page specifically, what are some tools and tips that us as fundraisers could be doing to make sure that, you know, we want it, we want that gift to be uh, completed, but we want to also make sure that it's accessible for everyone to make those gifts. First thing you want to do is whichever company, if it's not your own, you know, self-created widget donation button, wh whatever company you use, make sure that in the, whatever images on the site are accessible and the, and the form is accessible, the actual donation form, because you can lay it out in such a way that you can tab through and that's how somebody that might have the screen reader and not utilizing like a, a visual web page, but using screen reader, they can tab through and it makes it easier, but you want to have things in order and that they're described well. Um, and so you want to make sure that the tool provides it. Not all do, some do, some do it at different levels. There's a brand new, it's called WCAG or WCAG. I've heard of people say both. Uh, now it's 2.2. It just came out in the past month. The level, they continue to update things. It was 2.1 for the longest time, and there's level A, level AA, and level AAA. And the more A's you have, the more accessible it is. And you should hopefully get it, some of it. And many software companies are really starting to consider it now, but that wasn't always the case, they, that they put in accessibility into the product at the beginning. Many are doing it after the fact because they rush to market with their tool, make sure it works, but it's, it's missing 20% of the people because one in five Americans or 19% of Americans have some sort of disability. 
And so that's a huge number of people that you could easily attract. And outside of the U.S., it's a similar number. Uh, so there's well over a billion people who could be viewing your materials online, and they're not, they're not necessarily able to because they have some sort of disability that might be impacting them uh, from that. There's a couple other simple things, too, like with donation forms and pages. You want to make sure that the, the font's easy to read. Is it large enough, too? You know, I wear these, and these help magnify things now. But, you know, everything, everybody's making false fonts now, or small fonts. Uh, sorry for the spoonerism there. But uh, small fonts, and, you know, it gets aggravating when you get older. But you want to make it easy for your, for your potential donors to read what it is you're doing. So they don't necessarily need their cheaters, so to speak. Do you use bold or underline or italicize? Some of those can be easier or harder to read depending on the font. Do you have color contrasts that are good? Are you considering color blindness as part of it too? Uh, you know, a number of males are colorblind. And well, I'm not, my uh, uh, girlfriend's two sons are. So I factor that in. So are you using red and green for everything? Because it, otherwise it looks straight gray and you're not going to see necessarily the contrast that you want. But you want high high contrast areas because low vision makes it easier. So it's white on black or black on white. Those are always the easiest. But we want something colorful and not necessarily just, you know, your bland black and white looking generic sort of thing. Uh, so make sure that you use color, colors that fit not into your own website scheme, but also that are going to be uh, easier to read. And if you utilize clip art or if you have photos on it, again, not just the alt tags, but does that photo portray something that's helpful? Are you the type that puts like text over an image and use that as your image? Now, that's common on social media, but are you doing that as well here? Because that actually makes it difficult for somebody to read if they're using screen reader stuff because they're not going to see the text over the, 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 the picture. So those are things you need to consider when you're doing donation pages. This has been fabulous. I mean, so many things to, that we're probably not taking into consideration and possibly missing out on dollars from that perspective. Right. Is there data being tracked as far as donors who have accessibility needs? There really isn't. Sometimes you can tell by the browser, but really there's not a lot about that, which is unfortunate. And I think it's an area that could be growing. I know there's lots of going on, talking with folks at like the Fundraising Effectiveness Project and others that really are looking at doing deep dives into the data, because there's all this great data, and now we have more tools, and we continually have more tools to help us analyze this this great data. But, you know, how do you identify people with disabilities? Sometimes you don't, because it's not like you have a browser saying, I'm, I'm disabled, I have a disability. You don't get that. You know, it's, you know, I'm going to say frustrating, but at the same time, if you know the person, that's fine, especially if you're disability-related group. And there's stuff that's, you know, not tech-related that you can do as well. But when you're factoring all this in, you definitely need to make sure it's part of your overall communications, not just fundraising. And offering materials, that's actually a big area for us. We offer materials electronically because actually like the Adobe PDFs were one of the first things that were really accessible for folks. And it was great, but you can use tools like Canva. If you download a PDF in Canva, you almost always strip out some of the accessibility without realizing it. So you have to sometimes have to go back in and re-add that. Uh, because it flattens the file and, it, you know, there's technicalities in there. But you can go back in and add it to make sure people understand the images and those sorts of things. But, you know, just because you think it's accessible, it doesn't always stay accessible. That's the other part because it could get stripped out, whether it's stuff that's forwarded via email or other things. So, 
So we're, we're looking at it from like a, a, a digital perspective, but how does that carry over to direct mail? How are we taking into consideration these accommodations for those that may need them? Yeah, you know, in direct mail, you always want to have large fonts. The more text, the better. People will typically tell you. Again, it's how do you make yourself stand out from everybody else that's doing it? That's one thing. Uh, but are you factoring in all these things? Again, high contrast with colors. You know, are you utilizing fonts or you, even the words that you're utilizing? I mean, yeah, we always test words, but you, sometimes you don't want to necessarily be get too much jargon that if you a screen reader is not going to read it correctly. Is the layout okay or not? Are you getting kind of crazy with some of the images? And is it impactful? And that's the, the most important thing. Are you still portraying the message? Or you still have the call to action in there? Is that call to action accessible? That's the most important thing beyond anything else. Um, you can drive people back to the website, which a lot of people try to do. But people who give in the mail, like if they want to get mail and they give via mail, they're not necessarily going to convert over to electronic. So that's also something else you have to factor in as well. And it's it's important to remember that. But they all help each other. And that's the thing. You want to make sure that they, you know, whatever you, you have on your donation page or your, your donation widget and the images, the the font, the, the characteristics of it match what you're doing in print. If our listeners want to find out more ways to make sure that their website was accessible, are there any uh, tools or resources that they can check out online? There's a handful of free ones. Most of them are paid right now. There's ones that allow you to choose maybe one page a day sort of thing with the idea behind it. There are also tools you can add to your website that add accessibility and they add other things too, whether it's making it easier for somebody that might have epilepsy, what it would do, like if you if you click a button for the accessibility, it would remove maybe some of the moving images you might have. You know, those are things to consider as well. But it, again, you can click, it can make it more accessible with different font choices, colors. Uh, is it plain if you have dyslexia maybe? It allows you to focus just on one line at a time or a small portion of the text at a time. There's lots of great tools out there. There's no one right tool either for you. You know, some people say, oh, it's an overlay. And that's, a, I don't want to get too technical, but some of them are really just an overlay on top of your page. And some of them actually help make your page accessible. And it's whatever's right for you and your audience. That's really what you need to go with. I've currently at Achieva, which primarily works with people with intellectual disabilities, but we work with people of all types of disabilities. And having time spent time working at a, a blind association here in Western PA, you know, there's a lot going on that you could easily do. And that's why it's it's such an important thing to follow through with. And you know, it's a simple thing. If you start from the if you start from the beginning, you don't have to retrofit everything. And you won't be stuck in a legacy system because so, you, you went one way and just found out you can't really change it the way you want. So in, in an ideal world, we would be building our, our website and our communications from the ground up with those accessibility accommodations yeah. in mind. And, and you've given yeah. me so much to think about, you know, probably what most of us don't have available on our websites right now. And, and we're missing out and not factoring in those people that could be donors and more so than just donors, but people that need our services as well. They should be coming mm -hmm. to our websites and, and reviewing our resources, reading our blogs, following us on social. And if we're not providing those accommodations to them, we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Dave, this yep. has been fascinating. Is there anything you want to leave with our audience before we close out? Well, I think these things are really simple and it's actually kind of ethical when you think about it, because you want to try to reach out to your audience in the way that they would read it or want you want them to read it. But doing so, they just take these simple steps 
that will make a big difference in the community and actually makes you stand out because not enough people are doing it. So you stand out in a good way uh, and you can, uh, you know, promote the fact that you actually are accessible and that will make people very happy, especially in the disability community. So not only is it the right thing to do, but it's going to make you have that extra gold star because you are doing what others aren't doing and making it a known, you know, that you are providing those accommodations. This has been great. I really appreciate you joining us today on Impactability Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. If people want to find out more information about you, where can they find you online? You can easily just find me in social media. I'm Dave the CFRE, uh, Dave, T-H-E-C-F-R-E, uh, or just, you know, Google me. I'll show up. I do a lot of talks and to different community organizations and professional associations. And so I, they show up from time to time. Feel free to reach out at any time. I'm always happy to, to chat and try to help others. Dave is one of the best when it comes to accessibility needs and accommodations in the fundraising nonprofit sector. So definitely check him out. Thanks again for joining us today on Impactability and Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch, and have a great day. It's time for another edition of Coaches Corner. This is where we put our impact coaches to the test. We ask the questions that you send us to give them. We've got five minutes to answer it, and these questions are great, so thank you for sending them in. If you haven't sent us one already, please by all means do so. doesn't matter what it is. Our address is impactcoaches at impactability.net. Today's question is, what are the best practices for crafting an impactful annual report? Kim, you have five minutes to answer this question, and your five minutes begins right now. Hi. I'm Kim Hales, the Director of Client Services for Sukup Strategic Solutions. And in today's Coach's Corner, we are going to talk about creating a meaningful impact report. I think this is one of the greatest tools in a nonprofit toolbox, right? It's something that you have to do to be kind of compliant with everything, but it's also an opportunity to really be able to share your story and create a really meaningful narrative for your organization. So it shouldn't just be your um, legal obligation on financial reporting. It really should be a way for you to use storytelling, transparency, and to showcase what your organization is doing. Really beyond the numbers, it should be a narrative. It should be able to highlight your achievements, but also to express gratitude and be transparent in your communications to your donor base, but also to the community at large. It's a tool that you can use to show prospective donors, certainly grant funders and other funding sources about what you're doing and to be able to have a really comprehensive guide to what happened in the last year. When you start that, really be important to know your audience. Start with a really important message about what your organization's doing and share the success stories. Testimonials are an incredible resource and tool to use in that, as are any donor stories about why they have given to your organization. Use photos, really being able to bring that to life being able to graphically show the work that you've been doing, whether that's an infographic or just photographs and small bits of texts scattered in to be able to really make things easily digestible for your audience. I think obviously in today's world, we want things in small bits so that we can we can see them, take them in and move on. So as long as you can share those stories in a way that is really visually impactful and appealing to the audience is going to be incredibly important. 
And again, this is your chance to share your successes, to really show, you know, tangible outcomes. So having that be a really part part of what you're talking about. I have even suggested for many organizations calling that an impact report as opposed to an annual report. Still going to have the same information, but what it's doing is really showing the impact that your organization is making and it allows you again to include the number of lives you've touched, who what communities you've served, really specific milestones or things that you've achieved in the last year that have contributed to the success of the organization. And again, it is to express gratitude. So in whatever way you can, really use that as a tool to thank everyone for the support that they have given over the last year. A really sincere thank you can go a long way. And obviously this is not the only time you're thanking them, but it is likely the only time you're thanking them in a very public way where they can see their names and other people can see them. So being able to thank them in that way is going to be really important. Obviously, the financials of the organization and having really clearly defined financials of how you've, where you've raised the money from, where you've spent it, how much is going to your programs versus your administration and overhead. I know that is challenging for nonprofits. We all understand that all of this work comes with the need for some overhead, but really clearly defining that so that your donors and supporters know where those dollars are going to. And again, be transparent and honest. If there were challenges this year, address them. If there are changes to the financial health, address them in a you know tactful way, but, but be honest with all of your information and be transparent. So again, the annual report is a great tool for everyone to use to be able to share the stories of their organization. And I hope this was helpful in helping you create a meaningful annual report. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at impactability.live. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Josh Hirsch. Thanks for listening and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place for your nonprofit. As we kick off season two, we'd like to dedicate this episode the memory of a very special young woman, Eva Suka. Eva brought love and joy to so many, especially her loving mother, Cheryl Suka, the founder of the Impactability Podcast. Eva was one of our very first listeners and enjoyed listening to the episodes of season one with her mom when they came out of production. In honor of Eva, we share this episode on accessibility and fundraising.